Well, hey, good to be with you all today uh, in person and online. Um, uh, one week from today, November 29th, I have one quick uh, family announcement. We are going to kick off another week of 24 hours of prayer leading up to December 6th. We're inviting people to come get baptized. And we're going to spend some time as a church, as Colossians 4 says, there's a guy named Epaphras who is constantly wrestling in prayer for you. So we're going to do that as a church. We're going to spend a whole week praying 24 hours a day, seven days that week, November 29th at 10 a.m., uh, to December 6th at 10 a.m. And so you can sign up uh, to pray for an hour. We want to have as many people engage as possible. Pray for an hour. Uh, sign, go to chjoplin.org. At the very top, there's a banner that says House of Prayer. If you click on that House of Prayer, you can sign up for an hour. We'll give you a code. Uh, the House of Prayer is right over here at our East Campus, right on the corner of Sycamore and Newman. Uh, there'll be a code to get into the door. And the house leads you through an hour of prayer. It's really awesome. There's six stations. There's uh, prayer prompts at each station. And I promise you've never prayed for an hour. That sounds intimidating. I promise you. Take two hours. Take two hours. Um, I promise you. It will fly by. Because as you spend time with Jesus, he will transform you. He will impact you. We have the prayer prompts that guide you through it and teach you how to pray. Uh, and we want you to be a part of that. We want you to pray. Um, we have Clorox wipes at every station. So when you get done that station, you can clean it up uh, after yourself. Um, and if you want to partake, but you just don't feel comfortable coming to the house of prayer, pray at home. Like sign up for an hour. It's okay. Pray at home. Let us know. Hey, I'm going to pray from home and we'll send you the whole PDF of all the prayer prompts and you can pray for an hour at your house at that time. But let's spend 168 hours um, that week praying around the clock for the Lord to move in a powerful way in our church family, okay? I want you to come be a part of that. Um, I do want to say give a shout out to Jim and Juanita Maybe I miss seeing you all. I uh, prayed with you all this last week. They've been faithfully attending online all these months and uh, we just love our online campus. Our, I mean, not our campus, I'm sorry. Our online uh, service and everyone engaging in our online service. And so glad that you are with us and glad everybody's here in person today. Um, we're in the middle of a series called Running on Full. It's through the book of Colossians. And today we're talking about Colossians chapter 2. And last week we kicked off the series by asking this question, what are you running on? Like what are you putting into the tank of your life that is fueling you? That's fueling your life, fueling your purpose, fueling your relationships, that's getting you going, getting you up in the morning, it's what you think about at night. What are you running on in your life? And do you feel like you're running on E maybe a little bit today? Maybe this year has left you feeling like your tank is empty. Maybe for you, you've been running on uh, the, the need to be needed by other people, that you love meeting the needs of people and being a helper and everyone knowing that you help meet their needs. But what happens when no one needs you? Like what happens if that's what's fueling you in your life? What happens when you can't meet their needs? Or maybe for you, you're running on achievement and success or the, at least the appearance of achievement and success. And what happens like, if that's fueling you, what happens? So we asked last week, what happens when you've reached the top? Or what happens when you fail publicly in big, huge ways? Like, what do you do when that tank runs itself out? Or maybe for you, what was fueling you was that relationship. It was that husband, that wife, that, 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 that child that you were raising that now has left the nest. Or that parent was your best friend. And maybe what happens when they pass away? What happens when they leave you, when they betray you or they abandon you? And what about, it's it made for you, to, well, it fuels you as the routine. It's, it's some other thing that's constant that is stable for you. What happens when that thing is disrupted and interrupted and now you have to change everything? You know, change is the only constant in our life. 
Like, what, what, what are you running on today? And last, last week we talked about how the only thing that you can plug your life into to fuel you for eternity is those streams of living water of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, of what God has done for you and how he's guiding you and directing you in your life to life to the full. That's the only thing that can fuel you. What are you running on? And if you missed last week, I encourage you to go back and watch it on, on our website. Today we're asking a different question, though. Like, I was just talking about running on full. We want you to run your life with a full gas tank, a tank of gas in, in, your, in your life, right? And plug into a power that, that's never ending. And so here's the question I want to ask you today, okay? It's this. Has this year left you leaky? Okay. Now, I'm not talking about what happens when you get older and you get leakier, right? That's not what I'm talking about. Get that out of your head. But has this year, as you've been just kind of living your life, do you just feel like everything that you're putting in is just kind of leaking its way out? And it's like you can't, it's no matter what you do, you can't get your tank full. Uh, I'll never forget the first house we bought in Indiana. My wife and I moved from an apartment. We finally got a full-time job. I was able to have enough saved for a down payment on a house. We bought this house in Gettysburg Drive. And I left town one day for a work trip. And I get a call from my wife, and she's just in tears because she opened the water bill. And I'm like, well, what's going on? She goes, the water bill was for $300. And I was like, what? And she was like, dude. And I was like, oh, no. Um, and we, like, did a bunch of research. And like, we are like, that's not normal, okay? And come to find out there was a leak in our toilet in the downstairs, and this leak was leaking out water out of that back tank on the toilet. And so the toilet kept filling water into the tank, which was leaking out around the clock for a whole month. We were just running water, okay? And we ran so much water. We, we ran 10 times the amount of water that we had used the month before. And so our bill reflected that. It was 10 times the amount. Our bill the month before was $30, and this was 300 And this is what I learned in a really painful way is this simple truth. Small leaks that you ignore will cause damage that you pay for. Now, for you grammarians out there, yes, I am letting um, a participle hang. Okay, so just get over it. It rhymes. It works. Small leaks that you ignore will cause damage that you pay for. This isn't just true for your water bill. This is true for your life. Every single one of us are broken by this thing called sin. And kind of like this container that I have here today for my little science experiment and project, there's leaks in it. There's holes in this container. And that's what sin does to you. Sin breaks you. Sin cracks the container of your life where you're trying to have the eternal, the gospel thinking, gospel leave important to your life. If you don't address the leaks, that's going to leak out no matter what you do. The small leaks that you ignore will cause damage that you pay for. It's just, it's what happens unless you address the leaks. And Paul knew this when he was writing to this church in the city of Colossae, these ordinary Christians gathering together and trying to figure out what it meant to follow Jesus and be changed by him and to get on mission with him. He wrote a letter to this church and in chapter two, he encourages them on what it means to be rooted in Jesus. Check this out. He kind of addresses this issue of, of being leaky. Colossians 2, verses 6 through 7. Paul says this to the, these, these Christians. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue 
to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Friends, these are two just major verses, hub verses for the, the book of Colossians. And there's a lot of beautiful imagery in there, rooted and being built up and growing and grasping the faith. And I, I can't, don't have time to unpack all of those images and those metaphors, but if you watch the uh, videos I've been making on social media, Facebook or, uh, or Instagram, you can watch what I made on Wednesday, um, a video on this particular verse. But today I just want to center in on one central idea from this verse, and it's this. You were created to overflow, not to leak. Like every single one of you, you were created by God to overflow out of the abundance of what he has done in your life, overflowing into the lives of others, not to leak and always feel empty. I don't know about you, but for me, I, I feel like so often I'm running on empty. That I, I, I'm a sinner I'm messed up, I'm jacked up, and for some reason, everything that I do, it seems to hurt, my, hurt myself and those around me, the decisions that I make out of that emptiness, out of that, 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 that feeling of, of insecurity and, 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 worth, and worthlessness and all that stuff, man, I just feel like I just can't seem to get full, let alone to overflow with thankfulness to others. That's what sin does. And actually, there are three major metaphors used throughout church history, used as different people from different cultures have interacted with the gospel that have described the leaks of sin. And, and here, here they are. Here are the three kind of the metaphor, metaphoric language that is used to describe the impact that sin has on your container, the way that it leaks, and it's these. It's guilt, shame, and fear. Like, this is how sin breaks us as human beings. There's three major worldviews in the world. There's the guilt-innocent worldview, which has been America and the Western world for the majority of our history. There's a shame, honor-shame cultures, and then there's the fear-power cultures. And it actually builds right into how sin impacts every culture in every age and stage of human history. Guilt, let me, let me define these terms for you in the easiest way I know how. Guilt says this. Guilt says, I did a bad thing. All right, I made a mistake, I broke the law, I did this horrible thing or this, just, I, this, this thing to this person and I'm now guilty because I, di I did it. You caught me, okay? I did a bad thing. Shame says it like this. It's not that I did a bad thing, shame says I am bad. Like who I am as a person, I am bad, I am evil, I don't have any value, I'm worthless, I'm insignificant. What has been done to me or what I have done to others has made me bad. And then fear says it like this. I am not enough to overcome the bad. I'm not enough to overcome the evil in this world, the bad forces that are coming against me, the, the impact that sin has on my life and those around me, I'm, the injustices in the world. I'm not enough. And what happens is no matter what we do, with, our, with the, the gospel life, gospel thinking and gospel living, this full life that God wants to pour into our life, no matter how much we pour into it, if we don't address the leaks of guilt and shame and fear, it's just gonna leak out. It's just gonna leak out. And so you think, okay, so that's what we do as, as humans is we try to fix the leaks, try to repair the leaks, right? Well, look at what Paul says. It's really actually fascinating in the next verse, Colossians 2, verse eight. This is what he says. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, 
which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. He said, see to it that no one takes you captive, enslaves you to some kind of thinking that can maybe overcome the leaks of the container of your life. Don't become captive to it. You see, what happens is instead of trying to repair the leaks, right, what we do is we say, what we're putting in isn't working. The full life, the gospel life, gospel thinking, gospel living, it's not working in the container. It's not filling me. And so we turn to other things, other hollow and deceptive philosophies to try and fill the container, to fix the leak. Well, if that didn't work, instead of addressing the leaks, we try and fill our, our lives with something else. And there's really two major um, uh, uh, systems of thought that humans over time have tried to fill themselves with besides the gospel. And Paul explains, kind of summarizes all of it in verses 16 to 23. I don't have time to get into all of that. I'm going to summarize, he, he kind of summarizes both of them in verses 22 and 23. Check, check this out. These are the two hollow, deceptive philosophies that people consistently try to fill their lives with. These rules, he says, which have to do with the things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. You see, here's the two systems that Paul talks about in his verses. It's these rules, these earthly commands, and sensual indulgence. It's, it's, it's law, do these things, and, and gratifying whatever desire that you have. The reformers, they call it these two things. They call it, call it legalism, and license. There's a spectrum they put all of these works on. It's the spectrum of legalism and license. Or legalism is do these things and then you're going to be good, right? Here's all the stuff that you have to do to earn a favor with God. License says God loves you. doesn't matter what you do. You have a license, free license to do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Another word for license is this big word, antinomianism, okay? Use that today in a conversation somewhere with your child. Say, four-year-old child, why are you being an antinomianist right now? Just slip it in, okay? But antinomianism, uh, the Greek word uh, for law is namas. And so to be against the law is to be anti-namas. Antinomianism is where that comes from. But it's the idea of license, okay? And I love how Tim Keller, in his book, Center Church, he describes the difference between those two. He says this, legalism says that we have to live a holy good life in order to be saved, Antinomianism, or license, says that because we are saved, we don't have to live a holy or good life. One says, you got, you got to be perfect. The other one says, it really doesn't matter what you do. See, both of them are trying to fix the leaks in your container of guilt, shame, and fear in different ways. See, legalism... I asked uh, uh, Ashley this morning, Ashley King, our guest services coordinator, I was like, which one should be legalism? Which should be, should be license? And she says, red is stop, green is go. Legalism, stop doing this, green, go for it. I was like, well, that's perfect. Um, so I said, do you want to preach? No. So legalism. Legalism tries to answer our leaks of guilt, shame, and fear in this way. Let me show you this chart, Okay. Legalism tries to answer the, the issues of guilt, shame, and fear this way. Guilt says, I did a bad thing. So legalism's answer is, well, stop and do good things. Shame says, I am bad. And legalism's answer is, doing more good than bad makes you good. There's a balance there. 
And make sure you just do more good than bad, and then you're, you're good, basically. And then the fear, I'm not enough to overcome the bad. Legalism says, yes, you are. If all of us do more good than bad, we will be enough to overcome the bad. And so legalism basically says the only way to fix the leaks is to do more and better. Is to do good, make sure you do more, than, do more good than bad, and that if we all can get everybody to do more good than bad, then we're going to be full and we're going to overflow. But the reality is, legalism doesn't repair the leaks. Like we can just keep pouring in more and more stuff, more good, trying to get more people to be more good. And the reality, all of us, we're sinners. And if, if we don't repair the leaks of guilt, shame, and fear in our life, it doesn't matter how much legalism we pour in. We're just gonna keep on leaking. License does a similar thing. Here's license's answers to guilt, shame, and fear, okay? Because a lot of times we'll try legalism, it won't work, then we'll swing the pendulum over to license. License says this, I did a bad thing, and license answers, hey, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Everybody does. You're just normal. That's how it answers shame, too. Shame says, I am bad. And, and license says, no, you aren't. You're just normal. No one's perfect. And it almost dismisses the feeling. And then the last thing, actually, license answers the, uh, fear the same way that legalism does. I'm not enough to overcome. Yes, we are. We're enough. If all of us do more good than bad, we'll be enough. And then if they don't, it's okay. God loves us anyway and dismisses it. You see, license, it doesn't challenge you to do more, more and more stuff. That's what happens. As we keep pouring legalism in, you realize I can't ever be good enough to overcome guilt, shame, and fear in my life. And so we swing the pendulum to license and it says, okay, you don't gotta be good enough. You just gotta accept that and just move on. And usually the legalism and license mixes up into this nasty brown color. And we try. We try to just say, you're good. It doesn't matter. And we try to dismiss our guilt and our shame and our fear and say, God loves you anyway. It's okay. And no matter how much legalism or license we put in, we just keep on leaking. But see, here's, here's what's incredible about the gospel. This, this has always been humanity's problem, to swing from one to the other and back. And yet Paul says there is this life that Jesus promises you, this good life. It's the gospel life. It's gospel thinking. It's gospel living. It's completely different. And it addresses not just what you're putting in, but it addresses the leaks. Look at this beautiful passage of Colossians 2, verses 12 and following. Paul describes this, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, in powerful imagery. I just want to take some time just to unpack these images. Remember what we said, that small leaks that you ignore will cause damage that you pay for. And if you keep putting in legalism and license into it, those are leaks that you're ignoring. And guess what? It's gonna cause damage in your life and the lives of those around you. But there's good news, and the good news is that Jesus repairs the leaks. Look at how he does this in Colossians 2, verse 12. It says this. I'm actually going to verse 11. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision, not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh, your whole self, meaning every part of you, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, 
in which you also were raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. You see here, Paul is showing you how the gospel impacts our shame. Because our shame says, I'm bad. Like there's something wrong with me. And then Paul says, yeah, that was, that's called being dead to sin. Like when you're dead to sin, you're, can you guys say dead? Dead. Let's try that again. When you're dead to sin, you're dead. You're dead. Like you got no power over sin. It has conquered your life. And like a corpse, you're buried, you're tossed aside, you're put into a field where no one's, like to, to be forgotten. You're dead. And isn't that how it feels, the shame in your life? That you've just been tossed aside, that you're just enslaved, you're dead, you have no worth, you have no value, no significance, you're bad. And yet Paul says the gospel, the good news of Jesus is this, that when you are buried with Jesus in baptism, that when you go into the waters of baptism and and your life, your deadness to sin is under the water and it's killed, it's done, it's over. And guess what Jesus says in that place, in the cross, being buried in the tomb, I defeated the power of sin. Like I conquered it. And when I raised a new life, you're raised to a new identity, to a new value, to new worth, where Jesus, God paid everything for you. He loves you. And he resurrected from the dead to give you the same power to change who you are, to overcome the power that sin has in your life. You see, the beauty of the gospel is this, is that it takes the shame that you have in your life, that shameful identity that I am bad, and he he covers over the leak with honor. He says, no, no, no. You're my, you're my son. You're my daughter. I paid everything for you. I gave up my life for you. Think about that for a second. The God of the universe giving up his life for you. Like that, that's not a shameful identity. That is an identity that has honor and value attached to it. Immense and eternal honor and value. And then look at this verse in verses 13 and 14. He, he moves from shame to he moves to guilt. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. You hear that, that honor language, that shame to honor language? But then listen to this. He forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. You see, in your sin, you have rebelled against God and broken his law, and because of that, you are guilty. Like, if God is a just God, that means he's going to judge everyone's sins justly. We love that for people, the Hitlers and the Dahmers and all the horrible people of, the, of, of, of human history. But then we don't like, they deserve to be judged. But then if, he's judged, if he judges them justly, he has to judge us justly. We sure don't like that. We're guilty. But then Paul uses three images. He forgives us our sins. And he doesn't just dismiss them. No, no, God, the judge, came into this earth and was the substitute for the discipline and the judgment of your sins on the cross. Like, you should have been there. He took your place. He canceled our legal indebtedness. You hear that courtroom language there. You're no longer guilty anymore. He canceled the debt. Actually, the the word that Jesus says on the cross, the very last thing, when he cries out, it is finished. It's this beautiful word, to die. It's a word that was used when someone took out a loan on a, on a, 
product in the marketplace. And they were paying, making payments on it. And when they made that last payment, they would write to Telestai, which meant debt paid in full. And so when Jesus died on the cross, his last thing he said was, your debt is paid in full. Like, no more. And it says that he took our debt and he nailed it to the cross. And so we are no longer guilty. Like, in the cross of Jesus, that guilt that you did bad things, like when you're in Jesus and when you're baptized with him, it doesn't matter anymore. Because Jesus looks at you and he says, I paid the price and the penalty for your debt. And he takes the leak of our life and he goes, you are no longer guilty, but innocent. Like, your guilt's gone. Nailed it on the cross, it's forgiven, it's canceled. And then here's this last image that I just, is beautiful. This is how he addresses our fear. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. See, our fear is this. Uh, We are not enough to overcome the evil forces, bad death in this world. And he says, God, Jesus, when he made a public spectacle of the evil forces in all of our, our history, in all the cosmos, and that, that, that idea is, is, comes from the, from the Roman world, where, where Rome would go and conquer another nation, and when they would, they would take all the prisoners of war, and they would take them back to the capital, including the general of the army they just defeated, and they would take them back to the capital, and they would have a parade, and they would march them through the streets, and people would, would taunt them, and they would, they would yell at them, and, and then they would take the general up to the steps of the temple of Jupiter, and they would behead the general showing complete ultimate victory over this enemy what Paul is saying is that's what Jesus is doing to Satan like the most evil force that we have our enemy it's not against flesh and blood that's what Paul says when he raised from the dead, he's taking all of the evil forces in this world and what he's doing throughout human history, he's showing them that selfishness and greed and racism and injustice in this world and, 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 and divorce and, 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 and broken relationships and all of the things that we get caught up in, he's showing that they're empty. That you just, when you put light to that and you try to fill your tank with it, it won't last. And he's making a public spectacle of our enemy until finally one day he's going to destroy him completely and create a new heavens and a new earth. And guess what? Here's the truth of your fear. You aren't enough. But your, your king is. Like Jesus is. And when you're in Jesus... Like you have his victory. Like his victory is your victory. And so you have nothing to fear for he who is in you, is what John says, is greater than he who is in the world. And so the fear that you have, this thing that just leaks out all the good stuff in your life, Jesus repairs that leak with victory. A victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Right? He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. Like that's, that's the good news. And so when you, so the gospel comes in and it repairs the leaks in your life so that when you fill yourself with the gospel life, the good life, it, there's no leaking anymore. Like those leaks are gone. They're done away with. And then you can have so much water that you overflow blessing into the lives of others. 
See, this is what the gospel life does. Legalism won't do it. License won't do it. Only the life and the cross of Jesus will. Took me a long time to deal with the leaks of my life. That truth is still true. You know, the small leaks that you ignore will become, will cause damage that you pay for. Those small leaks that you ignore, it will cause damage. And it did for me. Like I lived my life under this weighty expectation that I put on myself to be perfect, to meet the level of potential that I had in my life. And you see, it was, I don't know where it came from, but I think I, I've kind of tracked, the, it came from the good that my dad and my granddads were trying to do in me to speak into me what they saw in me. And Satan took all that good encouragement and support, he twisted it because I hadn't dealt with the, gain, the guilt and the shame and the fear in my life yet. And it just leaked out over and over and over again, so much so that I bought into this lie of the enemy, which said, you don't meet your expectations, you don't meet other people's expectations, you don't meet God's expectations. And he is disappointed in you. You are failed potential, was my shame script. Lisa Turkhurst in her book, um, How to Forgive When You Can't Forget, says it like this. The only way to overcome your shame script and the lies that you buy into is collect the dots, to connect the dots, and then to correct the dots. It's like to collect the dots of, of the hurt and the pain and the leaks in your life and then start connecting them. Well, what's the, what's the common theme and the common lie that Satan's been trying to tell to me? And for me, it was that. It's, you're just, you failed potential. You've disappointed God. And it wasn't until I named my leaks that God began to correct the dots and repair the leaks in my life. And so we're going to give you some time to do that today. We're going to put an image on the screen here. You can draw this on a piece of paper that you have with you in a journal. You can get on the app, a College Heights app, and, and we have this image there in the sermon notes. And if you don't have anything to write in or you don't have the app or whatever, you can just use your imagination. Maybe take a picture of this on your phone and, and do this later uh, when you go to bed tonight, before you go to bed. But what, what, what's leaking in the container of your life? Are you struggling with guilt, shame, or fear? How? How are you struggling with that? And what are you filling your life with? Is it the gospel life? Or is it legalism and, and, and license? Huckabee's going to sing a song here for us. We're going to give you just a moment to just think and pray and reflect and name those leaks. Because small leaks that you ignore will cause damage that you will pay for. I think one of the uh, hardest jobs probably in, in, in America is, is being a kicker for the in, 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 in NFL team. You know, these guys, they uh, probably played collegiate soccer <laughs> or something, um, but started kicking, and, and they don't play the majority of the game. They come in to kick after uh, an, after, uh, an extra point after a touchdown. They come in and when the offense stalls out and they kick a field goal for three points. But what typically happens is at the end of a game, these kickers, they have to come in and the whole game rests on their foot. And it's like they're down by two points. Their offense got them just, you know, 40 yards away and they got to kick this little ball over the offensive defense line, 40 you know, extra yards or so in between his uprights. 
And just think about all the pressure, you know, billions of dollars spent on these franchises, it rests on a kicker's foot. Millions of people watching with bated breath, waiting in silence for what's going to happen with the kick. Hundreds of thousands of hours for coaches and players practicing and working to try and get their team in a, in a place to win. And here's the kicker sitting there with all this pressure on them. And there's silence, right? And we just wait. And they take those few steps and they make that kick. And if it goes through the uprights, everyone's screaming and there's celebration. And we've actually had kickers celebrating so hard, they pull their hamstrings because they're so excited about making the kick and winning the game. And friends, I think so often in life, what legalism and license in this world, what ends up happening is we feel the pressure like a kicker that everything, our full life depends on what we do in this moment and the next and the next and the next. And the gospel of Jesus says this. He says... It's not about you. Like it's, it's, it doesn't rest on your shoulders, the weight of the world, the weight of the church. The way, it doesn't rest on your shoulders. It's already been done on my shoulders. And here's the good news of Jesus is this. He, he says, you get the celebration and you don't have to make the kick. Like you get victory, you don't have to make the kick. You're innocent. You don't have to prove yourself to be innocent. You have honor. It's been given to you. You don't have to prove your worth because I've already done it. And friends, if, you, if that's like good news for you and you like say, I, I, I want that. Like I'm tired of my life just leaking out all over. Lord, please, I want that good news. Our elders, our ministers, our prayer volunteers are gonna go ahead and go to these two platforms on both sides of the room right now. They'll love to pray with you after service um, and talk to you about what it means to receive this good gift of Jesus that he wants to give to you today. If you maybe, you want to take a step and get baptized and take a step of like, say, I want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life and accept this wonderful gift of salvation that he gives me. On December 6th, we're having a baptism Sunday. We'd love for you to come and give your life to Jesus that day and receive this wonderful gift that he repairs the leaks of your life. You can go to chjoplin.org slash register and you can register and we will follow up with you and talk to you about getting baptized. If you're watching the service online, you're not here in person, you want to talk to somebody, you can message our minister on call at 417-208-9774. We'd love to follow up with you as we're that way anytime uh, when you're watching On Demand. But I, I, I challenge you, I invite you to come. Get the celebration because he's, he's, he's made the kick. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your victory. Thank you for what you have done. Father, Give us life of overflowing life of the full life today. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.